Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to Mutuality Matters podcast, global issues, human flourishing, and egalitarian theology as we see these issues through the experiences of our beloved guest and leader, Amanda Jackson. Amanda, since 2015, has served as the director of the Women's Commission of the World Evangelical Alliance with over 300 million women across the globe, a part of evangelical churches and communities, Amanda connects with and equips these women leaders to effectively achieve their goals and grow impact. Amanda is also a church planter and serves first-generation church planters in Muslim communities. She is founder of Rise in Strength, a network of international Christian women leaders, In 2020, Amanda founded the Christian Network to End Domestic Violence and to connect people working on these issues to promote best practices. Amanda has had a leadership roles with Christian NGOs, and she received just this fall CBE's Lifetime Achievement Award for serving women in many spheres. Welcome, Amanda. We're eager to hear from you and to learn from your experiences. Yes, Amanda. Thank you. We are, yes, I'm so excited to get to meet you virtually over this um, podcast. And so I was wondering, how did God lead you vocationally? You've done a lot. So how did you come to do what you're doing now? And were there major turning points that directed you in your story? Yeah, maybe I've only done lots of things because I'm a bit old. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean... One thing when I was thinking about this is that God leads us all in different ways. There's no sort of one path to um, global truth and leadership is there. So I think I was probably a slow starter, um, but I've always had a heart for justice, uh, maybe based on the fact that my dad was always discussing the news over the dinner table. And uh, I've always had a heart for women and girls, something in me, you know, God just puts different things in us, doesn't he? But um, I went to a church that was pretty much like every, you know, most churches, um, quite conservative. Women weren't doing very much leading at all. Um, but I knew that God was calling me to do different things. Once I even dreamed of being the first woman prime minister of Australia. Wow. <laughs> but I didn't get very well. far with that. <laughs> but um, I think God also put on my heart to be a teacher. So that's what I did for quite a few years was teach. And um, it's amazing how when you're doing what I do now, teaching comes into that. Um, skills of, you know, engaging people, of making complex ideas understandable. And I love doing that. Um, and then one turning point was uh, my husband and I decided to come to London when our kids were very small. Uh, we wanted to learn how to do church planting. We didn't want to get stuck in a rut in Sydney suburbia and uh yeah for 11 years we were church planting we were working as well we were out on the streets doing you know um, mission work knocking on people's doors doing social action it was a great church for two reasons for me number one it had social justice at its core 
four. And number two, women could do anything. They had a great theology around that. You didn't have to be married to a pastor. You could be single. You could be a married leader whose husband was in the background. It was really healthy in the 1990s. It was called ICFAS. And um, yeah, I'm very, very grateful for the teaching I got there and the examples I got there. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it sort of set me up. And then when we moved back to Australia and it was hard finding work. And so I said to God, I'd really love to do something around social justice and my faith. And yeah, I got a job and ended up heading up an NGO and doing advocacy work. So my early, early, early interest in politics, you know, came to the fore, meeting politicians and, you know, that sort of thing. So God is wonderful. He's very patient in bringing us through life's, you know, rivers and streams. So yeah, he used that as a jumping off point to get me involved in advocacy around women as well, because... um, when you're in an NGO on development, you quickly realize that, of course, it's women and girls who are at the bottom of the bottom of the pile. That's Whether right. Whether widows or um, single yeah. moms or women who can't get proper health care. So that really gave me a passion to work with women. You know, just digging a little deeper, I love the way you gave this a broad scope of God leading you. Could you maybe point out a few significant turning points as God led you to work deeper in the issues of women, social justice, and Christian faith? Mm. I think it was really um, working in the area of poverty and development. Um, As I said, it's not hard to realize that women are the ones who are at the bottom of the pile. And we were campaigning on maternal health in Australia um, for the Millennium Development Goals. And one of those goals was to um, halve um, maternal deaths, in fact, three, by three quarters. And it was the one goal that failed the most completely. Mm-hmm. And that tells you something, you know? that women are undervalued. And in fact, it was one of the easiest goals to achieve because just a few changes would have changed the lives of so many women. It wasn't expensive, it wasn't difficult, and yet it didn't happen. And we looked at Christian countries, you know, countries where the church was really strong and they had no better health outcomes for women than other countries. And you think that's not right. You know, why is that? Shouldn't the church be championing women and valuing them? And yes, it should. <laughs> it should. That's right. <laughs> and yet somehow it was going awry. And so that was one turning point of realizing that we really do need to address those issues in the church um, alongside issues of justice. We also need to say, hey, women are valuable and important and equal. It's very easy for men to say, oh, yes, we we admire our women. They're wonderful. We love them as mothers. Oh, I couldn't do what I do without her. And yet, in fact, they stay unequal and maybe sometimes even quite oppressed. And so it really gave me a heart to, to change that. And then secondly, you know, leading something called the Women's Commission is a pretty old fashioned sort of term. Um, And I did wonder whether it was even worth doing it, you know, because you can, if it's a women's commission, that just means they're over there doing their women's thing and we can ignore them. 
So I guess I said to God, please help us to use this commission to really promote women in leadership, to get them a voice at the table, rather than just saying, oh, women are wonderful when they cook meals and look after the children. Can so you explain the women's, like the women's commission, what is that associated with? Is that out of the Australia, Australian government? No, so just a global Christian network called the World Evangelical Alliance. So there are three big global Christian groups, okay. I guess. One would be the World Council of Churches, which tends to be the more traditional churches, evangelical churches, and then the Catholic Church. So they're the three big groups. And so this is just one of the, I don't know, the major arms of the World Evangelical Alliance. And as Mimi okay. said, you know, on paper, there are hundreds of millions of evangelical Christians and um, it's reaching out to those women and of course I don't reach out to hardly any of them I just reach out to the leaders in nations and regions and encourage them to be all that they can be yeah you know I don't know if you've seen uh 2021 room five that just came out from the sustainable development five goal fifth goal through the united nations that said religion the major religions are the ones that are holding women back mm -hmm. uh, from achieving these humanitarian goals that you cited earlier so there's a lot to be done in our yeah. faith communities i i wonder amanda um, the majority of christian women live in cultures that are very very different from the culture we live in, Kim and I, in the United States. And can you please, given your global experience, tell our audience or explain or share with our audience why it's very important to remember this? Mm. I think when I go to meetings like the United Nations, which I do a little bit, um, the voices that you hear are very Western voices. Um, they're very Western feminist voices, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but for many, many women around the world, life is much more basic. And many of those women go to church. And we can't forget that, that uh, we need to be supporting and encouraging women at every level, in every sort of circumstance. And I don't think we should ever say that this is better than the way you're living. Um, we have to be understanding, we have to be tolerant, um, and we have to reach out to all sorts of women. Most women in churches around the world, um, in non-Western contexts, would see marriage as, you know, the ultimate thing that they want to do, they want, they want to have children. And so to go in and tell them that, you know, single women or, you know, we've got to be you know, we're more than being mothers. That's true, but it's not going to really have an impact on them at first. So I guess we just have to be sensitive to where people are at. Um, I was talking to the woman who heads up the Roma network in Europe, Roma churches. Um, there's a huge number of Roma or gypsy people coming to Christ. Um, big revival across Europe. And traditionally, Roma get married in, as teenagers, uh, women have very little say. And so when they become Christians, what do you do with that? Where do you take it? So it's just saying, I guess we have to be 
uh, sensitive to different cultures, not accepting abuse or bad cultural practices, but also just being sensitive to understanding different culture. Does that make sense? Yes, oh, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested, as we talk about other cultures, you also have this aspect of yourself um, where if church planting and supporting first generation church planters in the Muslim context, I was kind of wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, isn't it amazing? So many women in Muslim majority countries and men are coming to faith um, in amazing spiritual ways. You know, they have dreams, um, they listen to something on the radio, um they are totally unchurched which is really exciting they are coming to jesus in the purest way it's very biblical it's very new testament and they want to know how to grow their churches um they want to know how to bring other people in and discover what they've discovered and some of them obviously are living in situations where to be a christian is tricky and sometimes dangerous. So how do you encourage them in their faith and to, um, to tell other people and to show God to other people um, without risking your life? Or if you're, if you're going to do that, then to be really prepared and resilient to cope with that. Now, I have no right to go and teach people or preach to people about those things in one way, but I do know my Bible fairly well. And the Bible is full of stories of women in similar circumstances coming to faith, God reaching out to the most unlikely people, to the most powerless people, and saying, you are part of my story. And so I guess that's what's exciting about reaching out to women in places um, where the church is very young. It gives them the great opportunity to do things really well. <laughs> they don't yeah. have the, all this baggage of church history mm -hmm. and um, to help them navigate all that and to see how they need to have women and men working together uh, because, of course, they have to overcome culture. Um, there was a story from Uzbekistan uh, where it's a cultural tradition, a really nice cultural tradition, that a family becomes like the leader in their street. Um, and so they're elected. Um, they think, oh, yeah, we love Kim's family. We'll, we'll have that family as our leader in the street. And people go to them, you know, for help and um, for some decision-making. And several of the Christians in those communities have been noticed as having something different that their families are stronger and healthier, that the men look after the women and the women are strong and the kids are happy and brought up well. And isn't that wonderful? That yes. just a modelling of God's hope for families has been noticed by the communities and they say, we want some of that, you know, <laughs> we yeah. recognise that. Um, and maybe that will lead them to God. Yeah. So you're seeing um, really positive gender dynamics going on in this population because of their receptivity to the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes, you know, the Western church comes in and, and tells them, oh, you're not supposed to do it that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and they seem to sort of go backwards a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. 
So that's a pity. But we're just trying to say culture is good, but God is better. And how can we navigate culture and faith and what's happening in your society, freedom of religion? Um, And how can you reach out particularly to women who aren't educated? In some of these nations, you know, the majority of women don't even go to get to go to high school. So how do you tell, talk about Jesus in those contexts? And again, it's it's there in the stories of the Gospels, isn't it? It is. How yes. Jesus interacted with women. So it's, you know, it's positive, even though we tend to think it's all very scary and horrible. In fact, God is on the ground right. um, doing some good things. Right. So working with new Christians, uh, a nascent church that develops and as they engage the biblical text you're seeing you know the gospel live in a vibrant way as Gordon Fee said and the spirit of God is just pulsating on the pages of scripture mm-hmm. but, but Amanda as you work with maybe more established Christian churches and Christians uh, in the western context uh, how have you have you noticed how telling better stories offering better biblical interpretation has also led to some better social outcomes. Mm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We don't get it right a lot, do we? But we want to hold the word of God in high regard. We keep on saying that, don't we? As Christians, we want to live our lives in line with the Bible. But then when it's when we start talking about men and women, somehow we just grab a few basic verses and we let that, our exclusive understanding of what life is like and you of course know this Mimi and you've dedicated you know many many years to overcoming this poor teaching but it seems to be crushing um, that this still happens and if the Bible is God's love letter to the world it should set us free and if women were intended to be somehow lesser then why would God have given us both gifting? Why would he say that we both reflect his image? All those, all those ideas. So when we can start teaching women especially, but women and men, that God has a different story, it frees women, but it also frees men. Right. You know, they, they don't have to be, you know, the manly man, the man who's responsible for everything, who can't show his emotions. And women don't have to be docile. They don't have to be silent. They don't have to be submissive. You know, when I go to many, many, many parts of the world and I ask women, what does the Bible tell us about being a woman? The first word they will always say is we have to submit. Hmm. And I just think that's so sad, isn't it? They don't say I am loved or I'm a daughter of God. They say we submit, and I'm, I have to help. I'm helping. Right. Right. But there's this energizing that happens when women yeah. are in, inspired to engage their gifts, their agency, their moral voice. It inspires women and it inspires everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. How, how Do you see that growing more in the West and with the churches you engage, the Christians you engage? Or... Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> But I think I think every generation has to go through these things probably again, don't they? Mm. Um, but we are building on what has come before. Um, I do think, and Mimi, I don't know whether you agree, but in the last 10, 15 years, there's been a backlash against um, 
the freeing up of women's roles and that women taking on greater leadership. And maybe it's also linked to the fact that the church is under threat in other ways. And so rather than embracing change or welcoming new things or seeing God's radical vision, we withdraw and we get smaller and we get want to get safer. And part of that is that we revert to traditional roles. And um, you see that throughout history. And I did history at university and one of the social history, one of the things you see is when people feel under threat, they with, withdraw, they go safe. And part of that is saying to women that you take on traditional roles and you stay in the home. Um, so I think things are getting better for more and more women. We have so many more books and articles and ideas now written by women. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, women are doing their MAs and PhDs and there's great teaching out there. Um, I don't know whether it's sinking into local churches very much yet. What, what would you say, Mimi? I don't know, but... Um, I think at one level it is, and I think anyone who is interested in this issue can go and find great material. Um, I don't know that it's got right down to the, you know, to everybody, but we do stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before. And I'm so excited by the young people I see, because it took me quite a while to find my confidence in my role, whereas I see young women in their 20s and 30s, and they've got it already, and I think, fantastic, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, this flow of history where, that you were talking about and how it makes the churches kind of go back to that more conservative um, place and it puts women back into that submissive role. And yet the world that the Western world, um, that so conflicts with what women experience in the workplace mm -hmm. and in society where they can go out and they can use their gifts and they can be leaders. I was just reading a study. I think it was probably published by CBE, but it was talking about the third reason why there are fewer and fewer women in church is because they are seeing this disconnect and they see it as the church as demeaning to who they are. Mm -hmm. So when you have the church reacting and, and going back to those old values, it actually is hurting the church. Mm -hmm. And the young people who, like you said, have this energy and don't have kind of these issues that we who are, are older have been struggling with, they just they just go for it. It's so yeah. exciting. Mm -hmm. If the church embraces that, it seems like that's the life in the future of the church. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and actually in light of that, thinking about that, you've seen so many obstacles and how do you see women kind of navigating around those obstacles? Like how is God leading women um, in the churches with these obstacles in their path? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think on one level, you you cope where you are and you go around or over or under <laughs> and you operate where you can. So there are lots of women who are like that, who would tell me that they go to churches where they're not allowed to do very much, but what they are allowed to do, they do with great enthusiasm. 
Um, and then there are some women who, as you say, have sort of given up on the church a bit and they find their outlet in other things, in their workplace. Um, so they're very career oriented. And then I think a third one is, um, especially for women of, you know, in their 40s and 50s and whatever, they, and in, throughout history, the church won't let you do something. So we'll go overseas and do something in an NGO focus, or we'll go to a country where they don't mind us turning up and doing things. And of course, right. that's how, why you had so many women missionaries in the late 19th century and early 20th century and today. Okay, the, the Western, my local church won't let me preach or teach or lead. I'll go and do it somewhere else. And uh, I think that was one of the interesting bits of research we did as Rise in Strength uh, when we got women to come together. The, um, the number of women who were single um, or divorced and therefore single again, um, and the number of women who were struggling financially in doing what they were doing because they'd, they were branching out, they were following God's leading, but that wasn't going to get them you know, <laughs> well paid. Mm -hmm. And um, it often means that you have to give up other things like family or, you know, um, it's a lot can be lonely. So um, I think there are those ways around the issue. And then there are the wonderful people who are the, you know, the pioneers who will take the steps, who will speak out, who will, you know, say the controversial things and uh, make it easier for other people to come behind them um, and maybe face the flack themselves. Mm. And my goodness, on the internet, on, you know, social media and whatever these days the flack is awful isn't it mm -hmm. um, and some women are amazing and cope with it and i'm sure others you know fall by the wayside um, yeah you asked a minute ago what sort of significant changes have i seen and and i you know i want to ask you the same question <clears throat> yourself uh, where have you seen new leaders empowered to do the work God has called them to do. But I, I don't know about you, but I really feel like education is a huge piece of that. <clears throat> and, you know, you mentioned all these books that were being written and uh, so many outlets online. Of course, there's pushback in social media. But I remember, you know, when CBE first started loading all this content up on our website after, you know, years of having it only in paper, the number of people writing to us who found another explanation for the hope they had in their heart that God loved women, equipped mm -hmm. them and called them as much as men. We were just overwhelmed uh, by the people writing to us. Of course, we published our manifesto on the pages of Christianity Today, and I think something like almost 3,000 people wrote to us asking wow. if they could learn more. So I just really believe firmly in the role of education. But what about you, Amanda? Where have you seen um, some significant change in empowering women and its impact on human flourishing? Mm. I have a couple of stories. Um, I think I'm a great I love the idea that we need the word of God and we need social action and we need the Holy Spirit, and, you know, the holistic gospel. 
um, although I didn't learn that term until, you know, fairly recently, it was something that was, you know, strong in me um, that we can't just talk the gospel because it's, um, you know, I'd get Christian leaders telling me sometimes when I talked about poverty or injustice or inequality, and they'd say, well, if everybody just became a Christian, it would yes, be good. Just, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And uh, we wouldn't have any problems because everybody would be nice to each other. And I thought, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not perfect as a Christian. Are you? <laughs> and it is, of course, it is true in the end, <laughs> but not um, at the start. Um, and we have to plough and reap and sow all our lives um, trying to bring God's glory into the world. There are a couple of um, women in Africa who do this um, on an issue called fistula, um, which um, is a health problem that is very minor, but which has a huge impact on women, particularly young women, um, who are probably getting pregnant too early and have very hard pregnancies and and labours, and they get a a tear in their um, uterus. And it causes all sorts of horrible problems, but it's really easily fixed by just sewing up the tear, <laughs> if you can get that medical help. And uh, two women, one in um, DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo, and one in Ethiopia. And these women treated these um, girls who'd been ostracised by the community because they were smelly, they were leaking urine and so they were rejected. They were often living in little huts away from their families. The husband rejected them. The parents rejected them. Um, they were outcasts and God reaches out to outcasts. And um, in healing these women, in performing the operations, it also healed them emotionally. But also um, in DRC, where rape was often um, the cause of these terrible injuries. Um, They started to do advocacy with men and soldiers and with the government around um, fistula and around the treatment of women and around safety of women. And so it becomes this holistic view of change um, that leads to human flourishing. Um, And another one, I, when I was back in Australia for um, 10 years, we Uh, took groups of people to the capital city, Canberra, to lobby the government and all politicians, in fact, around poverty issues. And for a couple of years, we really focused on maternal health because that was, you know, such a huge issue for Christian families and they all wanted women to flourish. Um, And so we chose that as an issue that we should really concentrate on. And uh, there was a, a group of kids who came from a school in Western Sydney, a pretty poor part of the city, They were all first-generation Australians. They were um, kids of refugees. And uh, one was a Cambodian girl. And uh, none of them were Christians. They were part of a social justice group set up by one of the teachers at the school who was a Christian. And he brought them all to Canberra to take part in this Christian event. So they were surrounded by Christians. (laughs) Pretty weird people, yeah. And (laughs) were interested in the justice side of it. And seeing the link between praying and worship and our Christian faith and justice really blew their minds away. And um, several of them became Christians, including one girl um, who was about 16 at the time. 
And uh, two years later, she was the school captain. She was flourishing completely as a young woman. And she met the prime minister and told him her story and why it was really important to care for women. And so I just see that as an example of human flourishing that comes and that there is hope for change. Yes. Grab hold of it. So inspiring. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Yes. You know, I'm wondering, listening to these stories, um, men in positions of leadership, have you seen things they have done that have really promoted women as leaders? And what do you think they could do that would move this further? Yeah. Of course, there are lots of wonderful men out there. Of course. Um, <laughs> My husband want is to do... <laughs> That's exactly right. Mine too. <laughs> that is mine. <laughs> yeah, um, they're good men. Um, so I, I guess for them, I would encourage them to champion women um, and to make a bit of a fuss about it. And it's something you need to grow into, I think, sometimes because it can be a bit, you know, you put your head above the parapet and, you know, what sort of a man are you? And, oh, he's on about that again. But I think if men champion women, that's a huge step. Um, they can do it in their family. They can champion their daughters. They can champion their wives. But they can also do it at work, in their church. They can stand up and say, I don't think that joke's appropriate. They mm -hmm. can, you know, stand up for women, talk about it, get rid of the, you know, the rubbish stuff that goes on in workplaces. So I think there's all sorts of things men can do to champion the issue. If they're maybe not even that far, I would just urge them to listen. Mm -hmm. um, we all think advice. we know. <laughs> we all think we know about you know what's going on in the world, or else we don't care. But if we take the time to listen to the stories of women, I think it has a big impact. How women might not even feel safe walking home after work if it's dark. Right. You know, men never feel that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Or what it might be like to you know not you know I'm having another baby. I you know what's that going to mean for my life or I'm going through menopause or I'm not allowed to preach in my church and yet I'm gifted in that way. How it actually does that feel? And then to men to listen and to care. To have to empathy. Have, yeah, exactly. It's a pretty basic thing, isn't it? Mm. Empathy and listening and, and caring about those voices and, um, yeah, I don't think they should beat themselves up about everything because, you know, most men are, you know, most Christian men do want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and many of them are conscious that they need to do more. I, you know, I get, I, I'm sure you get lots of men saying, well, I, you know, I, I want to do the right thing. What, what more can I do? And so I think there's a lot of goodwill out there, but we just have to really push them to be a voice and champion women, I think would be a huge thing that they could do thank you you know yeah. your your emphasis on empathy and listening uh, i think especially having a, a enormous privilege it is a challenge right to, mm -hmm. to suspend one's assumptions and to enter a context we're not familiar with i was listening to isa macaulay talk um, on a podcast just recently he's written a wonderful book called uh reading while black uh, stories oh, yeah. and the bible yeah. excellent 
such an excellent book. And he said he had this unusual experience um, as a the spouse of a doctor. His wife is a, a Navy doctor, and he was stationed overseas and spent a lot of time with women whose spouses were in the Navy. And he said they sort of let their guard down and treated him as sort of an honorary woman and allowed him <laughs> to hear uh, some of their complaints and stories. And he said it was the most amazing sort of entrance into a world he wasn't familiar with. And how would that look if, you know, the, the circle of conversation where people of color and a white person was allowed in as an honorary person of color. Um, and, and so building on empathy, uh, one, one spends one's whole life doing that, I, I am happy to say. And so in ending abuse, they say understanding empathy is a key portal mm -hmm to addressing that in our churches and in our communities. But I'm wondering, given your leadership in establishing a network of Christians trying to end abuse, what would you say is incredibly important for Christian families and marriages and churches to understand in this work? Mm. First of all, I think we have to as Christians, learn a bit of humility. You know, we, when it comes to things that we think we should be good at, you know, like family and bringing up our kids and um, doing the right thing, uh, we can get quite arrogant, actually, about um, not admitting that we fail um, or that thinking people out there do things like that but we don't because we're Christians um so I would say yeah just that word empathy and humility again for a start that um if we're willing to admit that we can get things wrong and it allows other people to say well I struggle with pornography um I struggle with depression. I struggle with, um, you know, um, getting angry with my wife or controlling her, or it allows a woman to talk about the fact that she's unhappy um, or that sex isn't great for her. I mean, whoever talks about that in church? And yet, Amazingly, the Bible has quite a few stories about women who suffer terribly uh, from bad sexual encounters. And yet male pastors never talk about it. And it's just as an aside, um, there's a group in the World Evangelical Alliance that pastors, pastors, you know, they, they're great guys. They're all guys. Um, and um, they have learned that they need to ask the pastor's wives uh, because, you know, 100% of the pastors are men um, in most contexts. They ask the pastors, you know, how's it going at home? How's your family? How's your wife? Oh, it's great, they say. Absolutely fantastic. She's such a support, you know, I couldn't do anything without her. You go and ask the wives and they're unhappy, they're frustrated, um, they never see their husbands. Um, the kids are out of control or, you know, they fear that the kids will be out of control. Right. And it's a very different story. And we need to um, 
tell family, Christian families, you've got to look after your family. You've got to pray. You've got to sit down and talk. You've got to do all the things that we learn about when we read, you know, secular things about how to be well and wellness, that we need to do some of that as Christians as well, because otherwise we're going to assume all sorts of things and get it really wrong. And then you get bad Bible teaching. And we need to overcome that, don't we, Mimi? Uh, It's, again, especially in the area of abuse. The excuses that are given by men to, you know, forgive way too easily when abuse happens or to tell women that somehow it's their fault, that they're not submitting enough or that they're not loving enough. And that the worst thing that could possibly happen would be divorce. And therefore, you've got to make that marriage work. Uh, It's really distorting what God wants families to be. And okay, in, you know, a majority of cases, it's not serious. And you can get through with talking and understanding and forgiving and going the extra mile. But in cases of abuse, and it happens way too often, you know, the statistics on abuse are awful. I know when I first started reading them, I thought, this can't be true. You know, this is, they're making this up there, you know. <laughs> but, right. um, you know, church surveys in many parts of the world, not just in the West, but in many parts of the world show that, you know, a quarter to a third of women say that they have suffered abuse um, in their marriage in the, in the recent past, not just in their whole lifetime, but in the recent past. Um, and it's a worldwide thing. And yet churches don't talk about it. They don't deal with it. And so I would say we've got to talk about what it means to be a healthy family and a healthy marriage, but we've also got to say, let's be honest here. One of the awful things that's happened in the last few years is the number of you know men who've been discovered to be abusers, sometimes not even until after they've died. You know, Christian leaders of you know huge esteem. Right. And the fact that other Christian leaders rush to defend them. It's mm. it's awful. Mm. Um, right. Instead of defending the victims, they're defending exactly. the abuser. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, under this guise of, oh, we're all sinners. Yes, we are. But some of us, only some of us, abuse our positions of power in that way. And as you say, Kim, where are the victims? Where are their voices? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like when the Pharisees drag the the woman caught in adultery before Jesus and say, here she is, what are you going to do about it? Um, And of course the Old Testament said adultery is bad, it's a sin, but it was for for the man and the woman. But of course we end up blaming the woman. And uh, Jesus just turned it all on its head. And we forget that. We become so easily Pharisees in the church over all sorts of issues, but especially somehow when it comes to women. And it comes back to the fact that when sin came into the world, one of the key results of sin was going to be enmity between men and women. And somehow the devil just loves it, breaking down relationships because it destroys families, it destroys churches, it destroys kids and the next generation. And, you know, great. (laughs) But God doesn't want it to be like that. We know that. Beautifully said. 
What I'm hoping if we could end a little bit on what your hope is for the future and how each person can be a part of changing their own context. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's what marks us out as Christians is the hope. It's easy to be completely cynical and frustrated and angry. I always say hope is our secret weapon. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's a good way of putting it. So we have a hope that in the end, God will sort it all out. So that's, you know, the big hope at the end of the story. But in the meantime, even in the darker circumstances, we have can have hope. And hope because we know that we are loved and valued by God. And so how do we keep that real <laughs> when things aren't going too well? I think is to always remind ourselves of the basics of God's story and how radical it is and how he took women out of so many different circumstances and said to them, I'm going to use you in my story of salvation. Um, and so to keep that hope alive and to say, God, I know you see me. I might feel invisible. I might feel in pain. I might feel ignored. But you see me, God. Help me to be strong. And so I think it's hope reaching out to God and coming back for that strength and then finding other people around you. Um, It may not be in your church. You might not be able to find other people in your church. Um, When I was leading an NGO, I used to go often to little churches in obscure places and I'd be driving along and getting lost because I had a hopeless sense of direction. And I'd be (laughs) saying, God, why am I having to go to this place on another Sunday morning? (laughs) And I'd get there and they never knew I was the speaker. You know, they always assumed it was going to be a man who was coming through the door. Um, And each time I felt like that, I would end up meeting a woman um, in the congregation who was in pain or who was alone and who knew there was something more. And God brought me along on that Sunday to encourage her just for a little while. Mm. And for me to be encouraged that, you know, all the driving had not been futile. (laughs) God had taken me to that place to, to talk to that woman and for us to share and to encourage each other. So I think gather people around you who can pray, who can, you can be part of a community. And I think CB offers that community for so many women Mm-hmm. But something like that, a community where you know you can be honest and you don't have to be careful with what you say um, and that you will be affirmed because, and get back to that hope. So, yeah, does that, does that make sense? Yes, I think that's beautiful. It is. And Amanda, thank you so much. Your life experience, we need a, a good autobiography or a, a competent <laughs> biography to capture the depth of your learning and wisdom. Thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you, Mimi. Thank you, Kim. I just wish everyone could watch you with your hand motions driving your car. <laughs> and it really enhances this. And they're just going to have to make it up in their brain as they listen. <laughs> yes. Amanda is a very agile dancer, I think. <laughs> you must have been a dancer in a previous life or earlier. Yeah, yeah maybe. So God bless you. May the Lord just equip you in powerful ways as you have been serving uh, so powerfully in 
inspiring people in the gospel and in better social action. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been lovely to talk to you. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.